0: Well, good morning again. Good morning. It's good to see you. Uh, my name is Mike, and in a couple minutes, we're going to get into our time of teaching. If this is your very first time, we want to welcome you. And inside your program is a white message note sheet that you can uh, use for our time of teaching. I want to pull that out. Uh, but before we do that, I want to highlight just one important announcement that uh, you know, about a year ago, we started a, a kind of a brand new, kind of major piece to what we call our growth path here. Obviously, uh, you think of the core of our church life groups, our weekend services. But we added this new piece, we felt like there was kind of one thing we needed to add to help us kind of grow to be passionate Christ followers. And we we, we designed a series of courses, it's about 10 courses, we call them the essentials, because these are topics that we believe that, that every Christ follower needs to kind of understand if they're going to walk well with Jesus. And so we put a lot of time into thinking this, and over the last year we've been slowly developing these 10, we've gone through three of them so far. And the idea is that here, we're, we're, the whole point of this church is to unleash this movement of passionate Christ followers, and so what will be the things you need to know to help you do that, really roll it up your sleeves practically? And so we had a course last uh, summer on pursuing God uh, one-on-one. How do you spend time with God in a way that you really connect with Him? Had a course this fall on loving people, doing relationships a whole new way. Had a course we just finished uh, in in, in the winter quarter here that was on uh, sacrificial service, uh, discovering your purpose. And now we're doing our fourth one in this series we're introducing. It's brand new. It's called Sharing Christ, Increasing Your Influence. And here's our, our conviction that as Christ followers, I think most of us know that one of our callings in life is to share the message of Jesus with those around us. I think most of us want to do that. with people that we love, we care about, we work with, uh, family, friends, whatever. We want to share that message, but we often don't know how. And on top of that, we've often had bad experiences when we tried, or maybe uh, we've had to learn some techniques or methods that's backfired. And so the, the, the issue is, like, how do you share Christ in a way that's real, authentic, that's uh, not awkward, that's not kind of phony, that's not kind of canned or whatever. And so we're going to be doing, uh, spending this, this course talking about that, just for kind of people like you and me, just kind of everyday, everyday people. Like how do we share the message of Jesus in a way that helps people take the next steps in their spiritual journey? And so that course is going to begin not this Tuesday, but a week from Tuesday. You can sign up online. All the information is in your, uh, in your brochure and your program today. But uh, right now we're going to go into our time of teaching. You all ready to go? Are you awake today? That's what I need to know. Okay, let's go. (laughs) Let's go. Father, thank you so much for this time to seek you together as your church, to come together at one place, one time, and to really pursue you as our God, to say that we're here, we want to know you, want to follow you, want to love you. Uh, We want you to teach us how to do that. And so we pray that today as we go into your word, you would unpack it for us, uh, open our eyes, help us see things we've never seen, that we would understand a little bit more what it means to be a passionate Christ follower. We pray this in your name. Amen. Our story starts today. Uh, it's, it's the last night that Jesus is with his men. It's, uh, they're, they're having dinner together. It's a kind of a Passover meal. And uh, after dinner, he, he shocks them, you remember, by washing their feet. And, uh, and then after that, he, he makes this major announcement that they never saw it coming. It takes them totally by surprise. They have that deer-in-the-headlights look. What he tells them is that he's going to be leaving, and, and that, that this time that they can't follow. And, and honestly, they've never seen this coming. Uh, they just, this takes them totally by surprise. They're devastated. I mean, they've left everything for this man. They've traveled in the last three years. They've given them their lives, given them their hearts. Uh, they're expecting something totally different, and it just takes them by surprise, knocks the wind out of them. And, and so in the midst of this, Jesus uh, uh, says, you know, you can't follow. And one of the men speaks up, and he says, Uh, he he says, uh, there's just no way. There's no way you can leave. There's no way we're going to let you go. I don't care what the rest of these guys do, but I'm sticking with you. I don't know where you're going, but you'll have to kill me to get rid of you. Uh, I'm going to follow you even if it requires my death. And within a few hours, Jesus will be arrested, and this man will run for his life with the rest of Jesus' men. And it'll be the start of the worst nightmare of his life. Today we're, uh, we're continuing a series that we started last June. It's called Revealed. And for those of you who are brand new, not only want to welcome you, I'm so glad you're here, but also just want to quickly bring you up to speed. It's a study of the life and teaching of Jesus as seen through the eyes of one of his closest followers and friends. He's a man by the name of John who uh, uh, after uh, the, the death and resurrection of Jesus eventually wrote uh, a story, a, uh, kind of an account of the life and teaching of Jesus. We call it the Gospel of John. We're actually in the fourth and final mini-series. It's there in the front of your white sheet. It's called The Glory of the Shame. We come today to the, the final message in the last chapter, which is John chapter 21. Now let me set the stage. Uh, if you were here last week in John 20, we left Jesus. He was in a, in a room with his men. It was seven days after his resurrection. They're behind locked doors. And uh, Thomas was there, you remember, and kind of wanting to see the nail prints in his hand. Now we fast forward in time. It's sometime in the next month. We're not sure exactly how many weeks or days have taken place. It's long enough for his men to travel back from the south of the country, Jerusalem, to make the 80, 90-mile, 100-mile trip back to the north to the Sea of Galilee where they're all from. And so as the chapter opens, the scene is that they're uh, at the Sea of Galilee, and they're all uh, they're going to go out fishing. Of course, Peter is a leader of the band of brothers, and so he's their leader. Uh, they're fishermen by trade. So he says to six of his buddies, hey, you want to go fishing tonight? I mean, this is a really weird time in their lives. Uh, Jesus is coming and going. Uh, he's going to be with them for the next, you know, 30 days, probably more, um, before he leaves to be with the Father. But he's coming and going. It's not like he hangs out all the time. They never know when they're going to see him next. So they, they've, they've witnessed the resurrection, they know he's alive, they're excited about that, and yet the future is uncertain. So they're back at the Sea of Galilee, and they've got to make a living, and so Peter says, hey, you know, I'm going fishing tonight, you guys want to come? And so sure enough, six of his buddies say, yeah, we'll come. Well, the way you'd fish in those days is you'd go out in the middle of the night, because in the middle of the night, the water's dark, the fish can't see the nets. So you got in the middle of the night, maybe early morning hours, fish all night long, and so they did that. But in this particular day, I had horrible luck. They're not catching any fish. So now it's dawn. The sun is just beginning to, to come up, and, uh, and they're exhausted, and they look into shore, and it's about 100 yards away. It's a picture of a football field. 100 yards away, they see a, a man on the shore, and he just looks like a stranger to them. They don't recognize him. And, and he calls out, and got a picture of this. I mean, he's calling from 100 yards away, it's over water, so sound travels, but he's I'm sure, yelling. And he basically says, hey, you don't have any fish, do you? And uh, they say no. And he says, well, try the other side of the boat. Uh, try it. And, and I don't know why they listen. I mean, I'm sure they're trying all, all night long, This side, the last side. I mean, and, and they're men, so why would they listen? <laughs> but, but anyway. Said yeah. <laughs> Enough said. So. Why they're listening to some dude on the beach who's probably never fished today is like, who knows? But they're like, okay. And so they drop down the nets on the other side. And the moment they do, this huge school of fish just pounds into their nets. And they feel it go tight in their hands. And they're like, whoa, hold on for dear life. They've got this huge catch. In fact, it's so many fish. There's no way they're going to be able to manhandle them into the, the boat. And at this point in time, one of the guys on the boat, one of the six, is a man named John. He's the author of our gospel. And he's seen this happen once before, about two and a half years before. And all of a sudden he looks in and goes, Hey, wait a minute. And he he's like, and light goes on, he's like, Peter, it's the Lord. And this is one of my favorite parts of the whole gospel of John. Because Peter, he's he's stripped down for work, you know, stripped down just to kind of underclothes or whatever. And uh, he's hot and he's sweaty because they've been doing this net thing all night long. He, and he hears it's Jesus, he throws on his outer clothes. Remember, they're a hundred yards for short, six o'clock in the morning in the spring, weather about like here, cool, water cold. Six o'clock in the morning, he jumps in the water and he starts swimming. Now, if your three-year-old does this, I get it. But it's like this is a full-grown man. I mean, this is like, you know. This is a tough guy. He jumps in the water, and he swims 100 yards. Now, I don't know about you. For me, I can't swim one lap without getting winded. And if you put my clothes on, I'd be calling for a lifeguard. Hey, I'll be you. And so he's swimming 100 yards, fully dressed, gets to the shore. Picture this. He comes out just soaking wet, freezing cold, a drenched rat. But he cannot wait to get to Jesus. And by the time he gets to Jesus, Jesus has the barbecue going. He's got a charcoal grill. He's got some fish going. On the, he's grilling up some fish for breakfast. And this is awesome, like the Lord of the universe cooking breakfast for you. It's like awesome. Until so he gets up there, I'm sure they have this reunion. Uh, by this point now, the men are slowly making their way into shore because they got this heavy load of fish. Eventually, they get there. They just kind of tie the nets up on the side with all the fish still in it because they want to get to Jesus now. They rush up. I'm sure they're high-fiving, bumping, you know, hugging or whatever. It's like they are excited. And so Jesus turns to Peter and says, hey, can you go down and get some more fish because we're going to need some more for breakfast. And so Peter goes down, and he's got this huge load, right, that they can't even pull in. It's so heavy. But Peter's a buff guy, so he, he takes this whole huge load of fish, and he drags the whole thing up on shore. He counts them 153 fish in this, this thing. He pulls out some of the best, the best ones. He brings it up. They have breakfast. It's got to be awesome. I mean, like, I would hope to be there for this breakfast. Like, what were they talking about? I just, you know, like, whoa, could you just give me a little bit more, John? But, but after breakfast, Jesus pulls Peter aside, and he says, hey, we need to talk. Uh, let's go for a walk. And that's where we pick up the story in chapter 21. Let's see what happens. Chapter 21, and we'll start at verse 15. Now, remember the backdrop to this story. Um, we'll talk about this more later, but of course, Peter is the guy who, the night Jesus was arrested, said, I'll never leave you no matter what. I don't care what these other guys do. If they all run, th- I mean, I will die with you. And then he went out and he disowned Jesus three times and, and we'll talk about that he not only, not only runs for his life not only leaves Jesus doesn't stay but he disowns him later three times we'll talk about that but that's the backdrop of this this is a a meeting that Jesus has obviously engineered to talk with Peter about his future and so in verse 15 it says when when they finished eating Jesus says to Peter now picture this it sounds like they're sitting around the fire with the rest of the guys we're going to learn later it's not they're walking one-on-one there's just the two of them by the beach and so he says, I'm um, Simon, son of John. Now, when anyone uses your full name, like your mother, yeah. right, it's a serious conversation. that's about to happen, right? The very first time Jesus met John back in, I mean, met Peter back in John chapter 1, I don't remember this, very first time he meets him, he says, hey, you're, uh, you're Simon, son of John. Very first time. Now their last conversation, Simon, son of John. And uh, he says, here's what I need to know. Do, do you truly love me more than these? Hey, uh, Peter, remember that night a few weeks ago? Uh, you said if, even if everyone else were to leave me, that you would never leave me. That you love me more than all the rest. I need to know, are you serious about that? Do you, do you mean that? In light of all this happened? You know, obviously you've, you've left me. Obviously you, you denied me. We know, both know that. But... I need to know, how do you feel about me? Where's your heart? And so Peter says, uh, yes, Lord. He said, you know that I love you. And he said, okay, feed my lambs. It's an important point in the life of Peter. Um, you got to picture this. First time Jesus meets Peter, he uh, he says to him, it's by the Jordan River, back in John chapter 1. Uh, Peter's there, one of the disciples, or with some of the disciples of, of John the Baptist, and very first time he meets, Jesus said, you're Simon, you're son of John. um, But in the future, you're going to go by a new name. You're going to go by a name, Cephas translated means Peter, means the rock. You're going to be a leader. very first time that they they met. And, And so Jesus has kind of laid out his life for him. If you're Peter and you've gone through this colossal failure, you have to be wondering what your future is with Jesus. Now, I don't know if you've ever been there. I'm not looking for a show of hands. But you've done something that's like majorly stupid in your spiritual life. You've betrayed Jesus in some way. A total colossal failure. And before that, you were you're walking close with the Lord. Before that, things were going well. And you sensed that God was with you and he has a plan for your life. He's got a plan for you. And then you do something really stupid. And afterwards don't you wonder like will it ever be like it was? You wonder can I ever get that back? The things that he promised me about my life is it gone forever? Is it gone for good? Have I gone too far? And in this conversation Jesus is going to restore Peter. And he's going to recommission Peter. Everything I said about you Peter still still goes. You got a future. And so when he says Feed my uh, lambs. This is a big deal. He's recommissioning him as leader of the movement. And so the second time, verse 16, Jesus says, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? Do you really love me? I need to know, Peter. And he said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said, okay, well, if you love me, here's your job then. I want you to take care of my sheep. And the third time he says to him, and catch this, I don't think there's any accident. You don't, you don't have to be a rocket scientist here to figure this out. I mean, there's three times when he denies and disowns Jesus. And now three times Peter is, Jesus asking him, do you really love me? You said you love me more than these. Are you serious about that? There's three times when you denied me, you disowned me in front of everyone. I need to know, do you love me? And in this moment, I think Jesus is pushing Peter. Uh, he's taking him back to that moment. He's making him face his past. He's making him face his, his failure. Not so that he can hurt him, but so that he can heal him. And we'll talk about this more later. But, but Peter gets it. He gets what's going on. And so Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things. So one thing that Peter had learned about Jesus Jesus knew him better than he knew himself. He says, you, you know all things. or I don't know what to tell you. You've asked me three times. I don't know what more I can say. You know my heart. You know everything about me. You know that I love you. I think if it was a foreign movie, we have a subtitle at this point. And Jesus would say, yeah, I know. I just needed to push you. But I know. Because what he, what he does next, he's going to go on next to tell him what this love is going to cost, what his future is going to be as the leader of his movement. And he says, okay, feed my sheep. And then he says in verse 18, I tell you the truth, when you were younger, you're a young man, <coughs> you dressed yourself and you went everywhere, you went wherever you wanted. You were totally independent, you ran your own life. But, but when you're old, you'll stretch out your hands, and someone else will dress you and they'll lead you where you don't want to go, Uh, you're going to lose that independence. The end of your life uh, is going to go differently. And verse 19, Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Now, we know from church history that about 35 years after this conversation, that there was a major persecution of Christ followers in Rome that was led by Caesar Nero. It's one of the worst persecutions in church history. And during that that persecution, according to church history, Peter was put to death for Christ. And what we're told is that he was crucified for Jesus. That he stretched out his arms and that's how he met his death. Now interesting, according to some church historians, and again we're not sure at this point, this part of the story, is this really legend or is is it really truth? But At this point in the story, uh, we're told that Peter actually, when they went to crucify him, that he said, don't crucify me like my Lord. I don't deserve that. So crucify me upside down. But whatever church history tells us, he was crucified. And so John says, Jesus is predicting this, that he's going to give his life for, for Christ that he, he does love Jesus, it's going to cost him his life. That's what Jesus is telling him. That's where your future is hold. Now, it's interesting because the book of John, most scholars believe, was probably written maybe 85 A.D. It was after, maybe 20 years after the death of Peter, which would mean that everyone knew, kind of was common knowledge how Peter died. But John's telling us the start of the story, the prediction that, that Jesus initially made. And so then after that, Jesus turns to Peter, telling after he's going to die for him, And then he says these two words, these familiar words. What are those two words? Follow me. me. Now catch this. John chapter 1, when Peter and his buddies first meet Jesus for the first time, one of the things Jesus says that first week is, follow me. A few months later, when Peter is by the seashore in the Sea of Galilee, Jesus comes by and calls him to leave his nets. And the first thing he says is, follow me. And now, the last chapter of John, after Peter understands now what it means to be a Christ follower, he's seen the death, he's seen the resurrection, final words, final call in his life, follow me. You know, at different points in our life with Jesus, he, he brings up the same command. Have you ever experienced this? You first come to Jesus, you think you understand, he says, follow me. But then there comes another crossroad moment where he asks for something more, and it's Follow me. And you come to another point, another time in your life, and there's something new he wants from you. Follow me. This is what's going on in Peter's life. And so, so now what happens is uh, uh, Peter's got the story of his life, but he turns around and he sees John following him. I don't know if he's trying to listen in or what. But uh, in 21 or verse uh, 20, uh, Peter turns and he sees the disciple that Jesus loved. That's uh, that's John. Who is following them. Remember I said it wasn't a campfire discussion. It's going around. They're, they're walking by the seaside. And so he sees John. And so this is the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the last supper. And uh, he talked about this in John 13. And he had said, Lord, who's going to betray you? And so when Peter sees him, he says, Lord, what about him? Now he and John are close friends. They're part of the inner circle. In the book of Acts, we'll see them always together. Uh, they're very close. And so Peter says, what's his story? You just told me my story. What's his story? And Jesus basically is going to say, "Um, that's none of your business. Uh, And so 21, when Peter says, what about him? Jesus said, look, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? Uh, You follow me. You know, sometimes in our lives we want to know, God, why do they get to do that? Or why do they have to? Or why do I, you know, we always worry about everyone else's story. And Jesus' word for us is, just worry about your own story, you know? You just follow me. And so because of this, verse 21, the rumor gets started. It spread among the brothers. This is so comforting to me to know that even in the early church, you had to deal with rumors. Uh, because of the rumor uh, spread among the brothers that this disciple, meaning John, he would not die. But Jesus didn't say that he wouldn't die. He only said, if I want him to remain alive until I return, What is that to you? So there's this rumor going around the early church that Jesus will come back before John dies because he's he's not going to die before Jesus comes back. And John says, time out. Let me explain this rumor. Let me clear things up. He didn't say that. Here's what he said. And then in verse 24, this is the disciple, John speaking. (laughs) This is the disciple who testifies to these things. So uh, throughout the book, John's been laying out this legal case, the evidence for who Jesus is. He's been testifying. He's been giving witness. We've seen that language again and again here at the very end. He says, I'm the the disciple who testifies, gives legal testimony to these things and who wrote them down. And uh, then then he says, we know that his testimony is true. Now, John may be using the editorial we like you do when you're writing sometimes. You say we speaking for I. Uh, Or it may be that this is one of his disciples who later adds this on saying, uh, we know that John was telling the truth. But either way, he's saying that the testimony is true. And then John says, Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have room for the books that would be written. Which is a great reminder that what we have in the Gospel of John or any of the Gospels is a very short uh, kind of window into the life of Jesus. Like we don't really have that much about the life of Jesus. We have limited, selected stories. In fact, this is what John said last week. Remember in John 20, he said, hey, there's many other miraculous signs that Jesus did. These are written down so that you might believe. So so the whole purpose of the Gospels is not to give us a biography of Jesus, but just to give us the information that we need to understand who he is, his core teachings, what it means to follow him. And with that, he brings the story to an end. Now, in the time that we have uh, today... What I want to do is, as we wrap up this whole series, is I want to kind of focus in on a couple lessons of what it means to be a Christ follower that really flow out of the whole teaching of John, but are especially illustrated well by Peter in this final chapter. And then finish up by asking three questions for us to do some self-evaluation as we, we wrap up this series. So there in your note sheet, you have a section called The Peter Principles. And there's two of them that I want to focus on that uh, are kind of principles of following Jesus flow from the Gospel of John, but especially illustrated by Peter today in chapter 21. So here we go. Number one, notice that they both start with the phrase, as Christ followers. So uh, these are lessons for us as Christ followers. Number one, as Christ followers, we're called, you and I are called, to a life of passion. In other words that, when you became a follower of Jesus, there's a calling in your life, there's a destiny, and you're called to live a life of passion. Now in other words, that the following Jesus is not a halfway sort of proposal. It's not a go-through-the-motion type of relationship. If you stand back from the Gospel of John, and you look and say, what does it mean to be a Christ follower? What John is being laying out is, is, by definition, to be a Christ follower is to live a life of passion. We don't just go through the motions. We're not called to a life of duty. We're not just jumping through religious hoops. That This is an all-consuming passion in our life. Now, before I talk about this passion, I want to be really clear on one thing, because we can get confused sometimes. Like in a room like this, we have all kinds of different personalities, don't we? Like some of us are like crazy extroverted, right? Like, like if you're around us for five minutes, you know our deepest passions, you know? You know our favorite TV show is Lost. You know we like mocha ice cream. You know that your last boyfriend was the worst one you've ever had. Uh, You know that you'll be dating again, but not yet soon. You know where, I mean, just to hang around us, you're going to know us very rapidly what our passions are. We wear them on our sleeves. Are you with me? There's some people that you're like that. There's others of us here exactly the opposite. You can know us for years without figuring out our passion. In fact, even if you ask us, we're like, well, wait till we're good friends. You know, it's like. We are very reserved. We're very quiet. Are you with me on this? Okay, so what I'm not saying is that Jesus came to turn you into a raving extrovert, all right? <laughs> that he's wired you the way you are. That's the way he wants you to be. you created. Uh, uh, he likes you the way you are, the, your, your core personality. He made that, okay? So I'm not talking about that. But here's what I'm saying is that every one of us, if you get to know us well enough, Every one of us has what I like to call some core passions in life that drive us. I don't care who you are. There is something in your life that makes you tick, that you care about more than anything else. And of those core passions, there is one that is the ultimate passion, the passion that rules them all. That passion is your God. That passion is what you worship. That passion is what you serve. And as you get to know different people, you, you can figure this out. Like I can think of a neighbor I had one time, and, and I never got to know him real well. He lived down the street fairly far from me. But, but I but I'd met him a couple times at parties, and, and I knew what his passion was just by driving by his house. His passion was his cars. You know, because he always had just the coolest, the latest, and greatest they're kept in the garage perfectly. Uh, they, they, if you go on the outside, they always have the car cover on them. They're meticulously maintained. You could just, this guy lives for his cars. That's his passion. You can see that. And as you look at different people, it doesn't, this is not that hard. You look and see what's their passion. And for some people, their passion is their career. It's all about climbing the ladder and winning in their career. For some people, their passion is money. For other people, their passion is, is their possessions. It's always a new toy. For some people, uh, their passion is shopping. I mean, they, they live to shop. <laughs> we have a self-confession. So I, yeah, my name is uh, Marie, and I'm a <laughs> shopper. Um, you know, for some people, it's eating. For some people, it's pleasure. There's people that they live for their next sexual encounter. For them, what they talk about, what they think about, it's all about next sexual encounter. For some people it's about some other form of pleasure, for some people it's a relationship. It's it's the boyfriend I have or the girlfriend I have or the next boyfriend or the next girlfriend. That the kind of rocket stage blast in the start of a relationship. That's what we live for. For other people it's it's that man or that woman that we're married to. For some, it's uh, uh, the kids that we'll have one day, or the grandkids, or it's the house, or it's the lifestyle. Are you with me in this? That as a human race, we are designed to be worshipers, and we will find something to worship. We will find it. There will be, there will be some passion that we buy into that we believe this passion rules them all, and if I get this passion in my life, uh, it will make me happy. And so we bow down to that passion and we worship that passion and nothing gets in the way of that passion. That passion is the passion that rules us. Are you with me? Now here's what I'm telling you. As a follower of Jesus, you're called that that absolute ultimate passion in your life would be Jesus himself. That there would be no one greater, nothing more important, uh, no, nothing, nothing more important in your life than to know him To love him and to please him is your driving force in your life. That's your passion, okay? That's what it means to be a Christ follower. Now, in this this particular uh, passage that we're in today, uh, Peter illustrates this really well. And he does it both at the beginning of the chapter and the end of the chapter. And I want you to pick up on this. Um, I want to take you to chapter 21 again. And and we're going to read some verses we didn't read starting at verse 4. Let's just... uh, Remember, it's it's early morning, working hard all night with these guys. And let's just pick up the story. So in verse 4, it says, early in the morning, Jesus stands on the shore. Of course, they don't know it's him. It's 100 yards away. Disciples don't realize it's Jesus. And so he calls out to them, hey, friends, have you got any fish? Now, in the Greek, what it really says is, you don't have any fish, do you? And so you just kind of picture this, hey, Hasn't been such a good night, has it? You don't ha- you don't have any fish, do you? And for whatever reason, they're like, well, no. Well, throw your you know throw your net. Can I picture? This? He's yelling this down. Throw your net on the right side of the boat, and you'll find some. They look at each other. I oh, yes. So they throw it in, and when they do, they're unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. And then the disciple that Jesus loves, who's who's John, he says to Peter, it's the Lord. I love this. As soon as Simon Peter hears, I mean, he's working all night, he's exhausted, he's hot, he's sweaty, uh, and they just caught what they're looking for (laughs) all night long working for fish. And they just caught this huge catch. I mean, economically, this is a big haul. He just got what he's been working for all night long, but the moment he hears it's Jesus, he he says he wraps his outer garment around him for he'd taken it off. He jumps in the water. It's 6 a.m. It's freezing. He throws his bathrobe on and jumps in the water and starts swimming to shore. See, I call that passion. I call that passion. I think at, at Peter's life, at this point in his life, nothing matters to him but getting reconnected with Jesus. Jesus has become the bread of life for Peter. Jesus has become the water of life for Peter. Jesus said in John 10, I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. Peter's bought in. And at this point, I don't care about the boat, I don't care about my buddies, I don't care if I look like a fool. I don't care how many fish we just caught or how much money it represents. Man, I'm getting ashore. I need to connect with him before he disappears. And off he goes. It's a picture of passion. Later on in the chapter, you see a different kind of passion. It's a very somber passion. This is where Jesus has his conversation with them. He tells them three times. I uh, asked him three times, do you love me? You pick it up. You know, uh, this time you pick up the passion, not in jumping in the water, but in the trembling in his lip. And you pick it up in 2117, the third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter is hurt. I mean, it's, it's like an arrow. It's like the one thing in his life that matters more than anything else is for Jesus to know that he loves him. But how do you convince him when you've screwed up so badly? And it's like an arrow going in his third time, and he says, he's just hurt. And are just kind of pours out. You just, just feel the emotion. Lord, you know all things. You know everything. You know everything about me, good, bad, otherwise. You know me better than I know myself. you got to know this. You know this about me. I love you. You're number one. I, you're, my, you're my top passion. I, I want to know you. I want to please you. I just whatever it means. And Jesus knows he means it. And so he goes on to tell him what that love's going to cost him. He goes on to tell him it's going to cost him his life. And here's what I want you to catch. This time, Peter doesn't flinch. Three, four weeks before, runs away in the garden. He wasn't prepared for that. It was outside his paradigm, Jesus dying. Not prepared, didn't see it coming. He was ready to fight for Jesus, but not to die for Jesus. Not like this, not to surrender. And so he runs for his life. He denies him. But that's something in the story. Here he is a few weeks later. Now he's like, whatever. Jesus tells him, you're going to stretch out your arms. He's like, whatever. Okay. I'm good. I'm good to go. You see what's happened? Like for Peter, he's ready to die for Jesus. He's seen Jesus die and rise. He doesn't have any fear of death anymore. He knows his life is not the end. You want to kill me? Kill me. I'm ready to go. You see? Let me ask you something. Uh, are you ready to die for Jesus if it's required of you? You know, in this country, we often don't ask that question because we don't have to face it. You know, around the world, people ask that question all the time when you first come to Jesus. Because the moment you get baptized, there's a price on your head. That's the way it was in the early church. The early church was often a price on your head. It's interesting because when we read the story of, like, Peter, I think often we just think, yeah, but that's Peter. Of course he's supposed to love Jesus. I mean, he's going to be the pope, right? Wow, you're kind of slow on that. <laughs> of course, you know, of course, he's, he's like an apostle. That's what they do by definition. They love Jesus. The rest of us, we just follow from a distance. But do you realize that the New Testament is not written to apostles. It's written to us. It's written to normal people, normal Christ followers. And it's really interesting, towards the end of his life, Peter's going to write a letter to a group of Christians that are, are facing significant persecution. It's right before Peter dies. Just a few years before he dies, things are starting to heat up in Rome. And he, he writes this letter to some Christians, and the whole book is about, hey, you're being persecuted. You might give up your life. You might be beaten, you know. It's, it's like a serious time. And yet they're all good to go. I mean, that's what it means to be a Christ follower. They're, they're ready to give up their life. And, and, in fact, there in your note sheet, I put in that, uh, that section there a verse from 1 Peter. And here's how he says, he says, uh, you've not seen Christ. Uh, Peter says, you've not seen Christ. Uh, uh, You didn't get the privilege that we have of seeing him face to face. But you still what? Love him. What did Jesus say to Peter? Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? And now he says, you haven't seen him, but you, you love him. You see, it's the same. There's no difference between Peter and the early Christ followers. He says, you cannot see him now, but you believe in him, and you're filled with joy. It's like you've got this joy that's just like, it's just like overpowering your life. It's just filling you up. It's flowing over. It can't be explained. It's, it's just a joy that, best words, full of glory. It's just amazing. And, and see, this is the love that Peter had that had transformed his life, and it had led to this passion, this joy. And he says, now, here, you as Christ's wives, that's what you're experiencing in your life. See, we're all called this life of passion now here's what I found I found this true in my own life I've seen it in just many believers life over time is that sometimes it takes a while for us to figure this out as Christ followers doesn't it that Jesus needs to be our ultimate passion like maybe you've seen this in your life you you come to Jesus you believe in him but there's still other passions that kind of rule your life And, and still like deep down you believe inside that you know what if I just had that girl, if I just had that guy, if I just had that job, if I could just get into that college, if I could just uh, uh, move up in my career, if I could just have a family, if we could just have kids, uh, if I could just live this lifestyle, if I could just get out of this job, there's, we, we, we really believe this, that the secret to our passion, to our joy in life is some other passion other than Jesus. And honestly, it takes us a while to figure this out, doesn't it? And so we run after these other passions because we really think that they will make us happy. And so we got Jesus saying, "I, I came to give you the water of life. I came to give you the bread of life. And we're like, yeah, yeah, I believe in you. But let me pursue this other passion because deep inside, I truly believe it will satisfy this deepest thirst. And what often has to happen in our life, we have to chase the wrong passions for a while until we get smart. So we get off in what we want and we realize they're empty. And, and often then it takes a while for us to come to a place where we're really willing to trust Jesus. But once we do, our life changes. And we begin to experience this joy that's kind of overflowing, this full of glory that, that Peter's talking about. That you only, it's, it's a joy that's unlike anything in this earth. Because it's not coming from this earth, it's coming from Jesus himself. And here's the amazing thing. That once we come into this spot, uh, not only does life start to make sense, but the rest of our life and passion start to make sense. Because what happens is when Jesus becomes our top passion, he starts to reorder the other passions of our life and put things in the proper order. And once they're in the proper order, then Jesus says, run with all your heart towards your passions. It's what I've created you for. And so now we can be passionate about all of life, because things are in their proper order, you see? There in your note sheet, a great quote from a pastor named Irwin McManus who wrote a book called Uprising. He's a pastor in the L.A. area. Uh, and it says, uh, when you make God your primary passion, he transforms all the passions of your heart. The result of this transformation is that it will be God's pleasure to fulfill those passions. Beyond this wonderful promise is the realization that as this transformation occurs, your passions become your best compass for your spiritual journey. When God is your first desire, you can trust the passions of your heart. It's in this state that you can fully live a uniquely passionate life. This is the living water he came. You and I were called to live life of passion. It's a passion first for Jesus, and once that's in order, our other passions are released and reordered, so we live a life of passion. It's what we're, we're called to. This is what draws the non-believers in, by the way. When they see a life live like that, it's like, "I want some of that." You see? That's, what, that's the draw. Now number two, there's a second thing we learned from Peter, and this kind of balances out the first, and it's, it goes like this: that as Christ's followers, failure isn't final. And this is such good news. Like I, I don't know if you can relate to this. I'm sure probably most of us can. But, I, you know, no, again, no show of hands. Have you done any ever done anything even after you're a Christ follower that's just like really stupid? You know, something you, it's a major regret. Uh, something you've made something else your ultimate you've chosen after it sometimes it might be just got distracted and it just kind of became your ultimate without even paying it you know and realizing it other times it's like jesus is telling you don't go that way and you say whatever time out uh uh, go go to your room Uh, i'm going this way and we just kind of to his face say no i'm going to do what i want to do i'm just going to be radically disobedient here and all of a sudden, we wake up, and we've screwed up our lives. Our lives are a mess. We, and all of a sudden, we come to our senses like, what have I done? You know, like, how did I get here? And in that moment, what happens is we begin to wonder, is my relationship with God over? You know, I have so gotten off track. I've gotten so skewed. Is it impossible to come home? Or if I do come home, uh, is his vision for my life still intact? I've so messed up. It's like... Can he ever use me again, or will I always be sort of a back row Christian that, yeah, I'm forgiven, but I've been put out to pasture because I've so messed up my life, I can't really be used, and his vision for my life can't really happen. Are you with me? And we struggle with this, and what I love this story of Peter is his story is so compelling that even as Christ followers, when we fail, even colossal failures, that they don't need to be final. And this, of course, flows from his life. And, you know, if you look at Peter's story, I think we often um, miss this. Like, if you've been a Christian any length of time, you know the story of Peter that he denied Christ three times. In fact, I could ask you, are you a Christian? Yes, I am. Okay, let me test you. Uh, Who's Peter? He's an apostle. Uh, Great. How many times did he deny Christ? Three. Good, you're a Christian. I mean, it's just like, good, you know, it's like, okay, good. You know, it's like, you know the basic story. But I think we often, we miss the impact of it because we miss, you know, you got this thing going on, you got the arrest of Jesus, his interrogation, sentencing, execution, burial, resurrection. It's such a big story that the the sidebar story of Peter just kind of gets pushed aside and we we know, yeah, he denied Christ three times and then Jesus forgave him. Okay, we we know the story, but we don't get the impact of this failure. And I want to walk you through this for just a minute. So let's go back There's that night, the last night, he's with his men. He says, I'm leaving, you can't follow. We've already talked this. Peter is like, no way, I'll follow you, whatever. I'll have to pry the sword from my hand. I mean, even if I die, I'll I'll never leave you, okay? Now, within hours, Jesus gets arrested. And Peter, along with everyone else, runs for his life. He said he'd never leave you. Now, Now he's left him. Now he begins to have second thoughts about this. We've got to know what's going on. So he grabs his buddy, John, and we're told in John chapter 18 that they actually start following the arrest party back to uh, where Jesus is going to be first interrogated with, with Annas. And, it's, and apparently it's sort of a lock type, a lock facility, a courtyard-type facility, but John knows somebody there and gets them in. So they go in. Now Peter's trying to lay low. You're walking into the enemy's camp right now. You know, your boss is, is over here being interrogated, Uh, Who are your your followers? Some of the questions, who are your followers? Uh, You know, they they could be trying to round them all up. And so he's trying to lay low, but as the night goes on, it's getting harder and harder. First of all, uh, his accent is standing out. Like if you're from Texas, you know, and you're in California, it's like we know that you didn't grow up here, right? Like we know that we're not sure where you're from, but it's not here. And so Peter's around the campfire, and one of them is like saying, like, hey, didn't I see you, like, in that Time magazine thing with Jesus, this man? Like, you look familiar. And by the way, your accent, you know, you're from, you're from Galilee. You're from the north. And, oh, no, that's not me. And so, this the this, this night's going on, he's like, no, 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 push it. But you can tell that you can tell things are, like, closing in on him, that they're beginning to get more and more suspicious. And so, the last time they ask him, he just goes off. Uh, in the text, it tells us he's, he's calling down curses. It's take, he's taking oaths. Uh, good chance he's probably swearing and cussing, because, I mean, he was a sailor, right? <clears throat> <And laughs> he's, he's really, he's, you know, he he's, he's running for his life, you know, figure, I mean, he's he is scared to death. He's going to do anything to throw him off the, the trail, and just, like, cussing and swearing probably is a good way to show you're not really one of Jesus' guys. And so, whether that's true or not, we don't know for sure, but here's what we know, that in the last, his last encounter that he begins calling down curses on himself. Now, I want you to catch this. It's there in your note sheet. It's said uh, Mark chapter 14. And, he, and remember, Jesus said, hey, when the rooster crows, but by the time the rooster crows, uh, you're going to deny me, so me three times, and he's like, no way. And so here we are, 1471. Uh, it says, Peter begins to call curses down on himself. And he swore to them, I don't know this man that you're talking about. Now, catch this. Here's what's going on. We don't live in a curse-filled society, you know, in terms of we don't call curses on ourselves, But in that in that part of the world, I mean, what he's saying here, it's going something like this. I swear to you by the God of Israel that I don't know this man, and if I'm not telling the truth, may the curses of God come on me and my family. You see what I'm saying? He's calling curses. He's swearing, taking an oath. I'm taking a, I swear to you, before the God of Israel, I don't know this man, would you knock it off, blankety blank, if this is not the truth, may the God of Israel curse my life, curse my family, send me to hell, whatever the thing is. You see, we don't know what the, but he's calling, are you with me? He's calling curses. And we're told at this moment, That Jesus is across the courtyard, and Luke tells us that he looks at this moment while the rooster is is crowing in the background. He looks and they lock eyes. I swear to God, I don't know this person. I called down the curtain, lock eyes. Look what happens in Luke chapter 22. Peter replies, I don't know who you're talking about. And just as he's speaking, the rooster crows. And Jesus turned and looked straight at Peter. Wow. Is there anyone you'd rather not be? (laughs) I mean, Peter is just broken. And Luke tells us that he goes out at this point. He just the best he could get, pulls away from the fire without making a scene. He goes out, sneaks out of the compound. He finds a quiet place, and he falls down and he bawls his eyes out. This is one of his closest friends. This is his Lord. This is he's the leader of the band. He said, I will never leave you. I will die for you. And now, in this, his friend is in his moment of greatest need. He's swearing and cursing and calling down. Curses on himself, and the rooster crows, in Jesus locks eyes. I mean, it is a moment frozen in time. It will be nightmare time for him in his life. He will, he will be dreaming about this at, that night. He'll be seeing that rooster's eyes. It'll be replayed in his mind. He has failed Jesus at the moment of his greatest need. Everything about his life is over. Everything Jesus said about his future, it's God. He is not the man Jesus thought he was. He is the biggest failure of all the 12, and his life is over. Now, you have to take that, and that is the backdrop for John 21. When Jesus comes that morning to have breakfast with Peter, and Jesus comes after him, And Jesus wants him to understand that it's not over. That I've known you from the first time we met. I have a vision for your life. I don't care what you've done. I don't care how bad it was. The story is not over. I love you. I have never stopped loving you. And I've got a plan for your life. Are you ready to get on with it? But in order to move into the future, Peter has got to face the past. And so three times he asks him, do you love me Not to hurt him, but to heal him. Can I tell you something? When you fail Jesus, sooner or later, you have to quit pretending and quit calling it things that it's not. You have to call it by its true name, and you have to call it by its true name in the presence of Jesus. This is the essence of biblical confession of sin. It's not some hoop you jump through. It's a one-on-one with Jesus where you look him in the eye and you own what you've done and you call it by your true name and you stop blaming other people for making you do this and you stop making excuses and you own it and you say, I blew it. I screwed up. It was wrong. It was horrible. And there in that moment and only there are we ready to have Jesus look us in the eye and say, okay, are you ready to move on? You see? It's, it's a radical honesty about our past that sets us free to embrace our future. And that's why Jesus took him back. Not to hurt him, but to free him. And so the question is today, what is in your past? There's some of you here that you wake up at night sometimes because of something in your past. You believe in Jesus. You believe in his death on the cross, but there's something that haunts you. Maybe it's a divorce. Maybe it's an abortion. Maybe it's a sexual promiscuity. Maybe it's a betrayal. Maybe it's a murder. Maybe it's an unfaithfulness. I don't know what it is. I've talked to so many. I've heard the stories. I know we struggle with this as Christ followers. We don't get it that with Jesus, failure isn't final. And I don't care what you've done. I don't care what your story is. I know this is true because we see it in the eyes of Jesus that he comes not only to forgive you, he comes to restore you and to recommission you for the vision he's always had for your life. He knew Peter on day one when he said, you're my rock. He knew the night before it happened. By this time, this night will have over. You'll deny me three times. And he knows the future and guess what? That conversation is a turning point in Jesus, in Peter's life. And within less than one month's time, Peter will stand up in Jerusalem, the very city where he denied Jesus, within in, in less than a month or two's time, he will stand up in the very city with the very same religious authorities who arrested Jesus and led to his death, and he will speak the word of Jesus to the masses, and 3,000 people will become Christ's followers. You see? Failure is not final for followers of Jesus. So as we wrap up this series, I just have three simple questions for you. Number one, first question, how's your passion? You might want to write, who's your passion? But we've talked today, you're called to a life of passion. There's an ultimate passion in your life. Here's what I can tell you. Jesus in John has told us he's come to give us life. Water a life, bread a life, life to the full. Over and over. Now, the question is, who's your passion? Because until he's your passion, you'll be hungry and thirsty. That's just the way it works. So, who's your passion? Number two. Second question, have you let go of the past? Is there something that haunts you that you need to let go of? You need to have an honest conversation if you've never done that. You need to let him restore you. You need to let him heal you. You need to let him recommission you. He's come to set you free. And number three, are you ready to follow? I think this is the big question John wants to leave with us in his last chapter. That's why he puts it in the mouth of Peter while he records this conversation. Chapter 1. The book starts off with Jesus calling his first men to follow me. Chapter 21, the last book, last chapter, last thing he says, Peter, follow me. In between, John has laid out this case we've talked about many times. that There's a time and a place when the God who's created all time and all space entered into creation, became a part of the human race to rescue you, to reveal himself, and to give, you, give us life. That's the claim. Now, the question is, do we believe him? Do we believe him? For Peter, at the start of his ministry with Jesus, Jesus said, Follow me. Leave your boat, follow me. Now, at the end of the story, Peter jumps out of the boat, leaves his boat, and Jesus says, Follow me. So the question is, what is your boat? What's the thing that gives your life identity? What's the thing that, that defines who you are? What's your boat? And are you willing and ready to leave your boat and to believe in Jesus? See, it's the key question he's asked over and over again is, do you believe in Jesus? It's been on almost every page of every chapter. Do you believe in Jesus? And what we've learned over and over again is the only way to know whether you believe in Jesus is whether you follow, and especially when it's hard or makes no sense. Let's pray. While our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, I just want to give you some time to reflect on your own personal relationship with Jesus Christ, uh, the God who's become flesh. He's come, he's revealed himself, he's laid it out. He is the God who created all things. He created you. By him, all things exist. He holds all things together by the word of his power. The fact that you're here and breathing is because he is choosing to make you live right now. And and the question is, is, who is your passion? The question is, Are you ready to let go of your past? The question is, are you ready to follow? As we wrap up this series, I want to give you some time to reflect and just have a heart-to-heart conversation with Jesus. Maybe he's not been your passion. And today, you want to say, Jesus, I want you to be. I can't make you. I can't change my own heart. But if you can come and change my heart, I I give you permission. I ask you to come and do that. And if there's anything in my way that I'm doing that's getting in the way, you show me and I'll, I'll follow. Maybe the conversation you need to have today is just to call out to him, Jesus, I've, I've been afraid of you because of what I did, and I want to be honest about what I did and ask you to forgive me and come and restore me, recommission me. Maybe the conversation you need to have is, Jesus, uh, I'm ready to follow. I've heard the story. I got it. I'm ready to follow. Where, what's my next step? But whatever the conversation you need to have, I want to give you some time to have that. And so J.D.'s going to be playing a, just a beautiful song about God's love that just never changes. It's a song Peter would love. And during the next few minutes it gives you a chance to to reflect on your life and talk with Jesus. Maybe you want to stay in your seat. Maybe you want to kneel where you are. Maybe you want to get out in the aisle. Maybe you want to stand. Maybe you want to come forward to the stage. Or maybe you want to move to around the room find a quiet spot just to pour your heart out to Him. Maybe there's someone here that you want to go and Asked to forgive you for something they've done, restore a relationship. I don't know what needs to happen, but we just want to give you a couple of moments to reflect on this series as we bring it to an end. This series that there's a time and a place when God came. How do we respond to that?